0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. Cool. All right. Open your Bibles to, uh, we're going to start in chapter 35, and we're going to mostly be in chapter 37, Genesis chapter 35. We're going to start in verse 27, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and there's one up here in the front. A couple of hands go, so just uh, put one in your hand. If you don't have one, take that home, put your name on it, color in it, read it. And uh, we want to welcome everybody that's online listening and uh, on our channels. So thank you. We welcome you guys. And uh, you should see how beautiful this crowd looks. They're all in plaid. I don't know if I don't know if we got these plaid shirts out of the closet or if Lands End had a super run on on you know an Amazon was at your front door delivering your Lands End plaid shirt. I don't know, but you guys look great. You should see them. Um, Last week, we finished up part two of taking the, the dysfunction out of family, and so we, uh, we saw at the very end of that story, you know, all the dysfunction that we had covered in the last two weeks, we saw a happy ending. Isn't it good to see a happy ending when a story ends? When the, and, and here's why it ended in a good way. They obeyed God. They obeyed God. They did what God told them to do about unforgiveness. And so, because of that, um, two brothers, Esau and Jacob, they finally reconciled. Get this a 20 year estranged relationship where they were fearful and they, and one ran from the other. And so we saw them embrace, they wept. And so they've really come back to United. And you remember, we prayed over you guys. So if you were here and, and you're in a strange relationship and you think God can never repair that and you're deeply wounded, we encourage you to pray and trust God and be that first person to step out and, and to mend that, to try to mend it. Now, does it take one person to mend a relationship or both? Yeah. Both got to be willing. But God says, you, you go out and and you make, you make, you give it a best effort. You ask for forgiveness and then you trust and rely on God. Now there's sometimes that, that you can't do that. They're not ready. They're not ready to reconcile, you know, but at least you obey God and God honors when you obey him, doesn't he? There's a blessing and it also may change everything. I did that with my brother. I did, told you I wouldn't go into it. But my brother, I heard a teaching on a, on a Saturday night at the Melbourne campus. And it was, it was a series. And if you're struggling in this, please write this down. There's a series online in our archives. It's called Real Hurts, Real Freedom. Write it down. Real Hurts, Real Freedom. And God rescued me out of unforgiveness during that five, six-week series um, that was taught at the Melbourne campus. And when I got done with that series, I looked at my wife and I said, book me a flight. And I flew up to Ohio. I hadn't talked to my brother. We were estranged. And I just showed up at his house. I knocked on his door and he looked at me. He wept. And we hugged, we embraced, and we restored our relationship. Now, how did that happen? My brother came to me. No, I heard the word of God for the first time and I obeyed it, and God honored it. So if that's you, obey it, trust God, and he'll do that. Remember we had a a takeaway. You see it up on the screen. And I always like to give you a takeaway from last week. But remember, only a true confession of repentance and humility sets us free. It sets us in right standing with God, and it also restores relationship. Remember, forgiveness starts with Jesus. He forgave you he forgave me. And he taught us how forgiveness is, and he asked us to do the same thing. And so it it is important. You don't have to forget. You know, it takes time to forget, doesn't it? I'm not asking you to trust that person that hurt you. The only thing God tells you to do is to trust, to trust him and forgive, and then let God work out the rest, all right? All right, well, if you missed last week, you can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and Apple Play, and you can go back and look at all the archives. But we're going to be in Genesis chapter 35. Look down in verse 27. This is what happens, just to bring you up to date, after the two brothers reconciled. In verse 27, it says, So Jacob, which is their father, or I'm sorry, one of the sons, returned to his father Isaac in Mamre which is near Karth Arba, now called Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had both lived as foreigners. Isaac lived to be 180 years old, and then he breathed his last breath and died at a ripe old age, joining his ancestors in death, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. In one of the most beautiful moments in this story that I believe that God's timing is everything. And the sons were reconciled. And the sons were able to reconcile with their father. And, and they were able to bury him. They were able to mourn him together as a family in support. They, they were, their hearts were restored before their father died. Because remember, the father was part of it too, if you're following along with me. The mother was part of dysfunction. The father was part of dysfunction. The brother was part of dysfunction. But we see a family that was restored. The hearts were restored, and the wounds from the hurts were mended. And the family came together for a time of death. And that's really important. Because maybe you're here tonight... And maybe you have unforgiveness for someone in your family and they've already passed. You say, well, Pastor David, what do I do about that? You can still forgive them. You can still forgive them. And God can work in you. The Holy Spirit can work in you. Why? Because you obey. And so maybe you're like, well, I don't know if they'll ever forgive me, whatever the situation is. But I would just say, you're here And God's spirit's in you. He's interceding. You forgive him and you trust in the Lord as well. And that oftentimes comes up in counseling. I have so much unforgiveness for my father, but he's not here anymore. And I said, you just forgive him anyways. And you live in that peace. You be set free from that peace. You be set free from that bondage because you're still here, right? There's no sin in heaven. I believe there's reconciliation when you get there. It's like check at the door, check the box you unforgive, right? But but why suffer? why wait for that appointment with your loved one? And so, anyhow, moving on, um, we are in chapter 36. We're not gonna cover that, you can just look at it. And really what chapter 36 is just the history and lineage of, um, of uh, Esau's family line. You can read that on your own. And we're starting now at this point, we're gonna be wrapping up the book of Genesis. I might get it done before the end of the year. And we're wrapping up where we're really on our fifth and sixth generation since the beginning of Adam and Eve. And that's what Genesis is taking you through. So you can read that, but we're gonna be in chapter 37. Chapter 37, so turn there. And we see a story of Jacob and his family. And in verse 37 or chapter 37, verse one, let's read it. It says, so Jacob settled in the land of Canaan. And remember, that's where, Isaac and Abraham had been. It's a promised land. They're foreigners, but it's a land that God told them to go to. And so again, just like the third generation here, they he settled in Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner, and this is the account of Jacob and his family. So maybe you're here and you're visiting or you're not following along with this series, and that's okay. I want to bring you up to date. The question would be, who is Jacob? and then who is his family because it's the first time that they're really mentioning it, that we're going to cover is the family. And so I have it up on the screen, kind of a kind of a family chart here. And this is really who Jacob is. This is Jacob, number 36 is Esau his brother. There were only two boys from Isaac and this is this chapter is about Jacob. And so Jacob, and you have to go back and listen to the teachings to get the history of the deception. But Jacob as you see, he actually has 13 children. 13 children. And before I saw this family chart, I'm like 12 boys and one girl. So would we keep trying for a girl? And it finally came like, how's that work? Right. But he has 12 boys, which you guys fast forward 12 tribes. Right. But he has 12 boys and one daughter. But look, look at this. He has four different women that have birthed these 13 kids. And so he had two wives. He had Rachel and he had Leah and then their maid servants which is Zilpha and Bilhah, and I don't think they're related, but they were the maidservants to both their wives. And so you see the kids that they had with them. Now, notice Joseph was number 11. And so Rachel had Joseph later in life. And in fact, Rachel, um, the wife of um, uh, the, uh, the grandmother, passed and she did get to see Joseph, but you see that there's Joseph number 11. And this is important that you see this chart because anybody part of a blended family, raise your hand. We have blended families all the time, right? And so there's blended families, maybe your first marriage, second marriage, third marriage, um, in-laws, step-laws, but this is a family that has a lot of blendedness going on. And sometimes it works, and then sometimes dysfunction kicks into the blended families if we're honest, right? And sometimes it just gets difficult, and the enemy loves to get in the middle of that, especially when it comes to the parents, and maybe it's their second marriage, maybe they don't get along with their first wife or their first husband, and then the kids have a tendency to get involved in that. But we're dealing with a blended family with four different women that, that, that Jacob um, has um, been the father to, and so that's important uh, to see that. Now... I told you, we're gonna begin this journey in the life of Joseph, and in the next five or six chapters we're gonna cover, as we follow Joseph's life, we're gonna discover what kind of man he really is. We focused a lot on the man. Remember, Adam, and then we focused on Noah, And then we focus on Abraham. And and as we've been going through Genesis, what's the one thing, church, that if you've been following along this series with me through the whole book of Genesis, what is the one thing that we're discovering about the men of the Bible, the men of God? We find two things. One, God's called, yeah, I heard that. God calls them righteous, right? A man of God, a chosen one. So ordinary men are chosen by God and, and, and they're called all these things. But church, we, what, what we've been looking at closely is even the men of God that are called, they make mistakes. They're normal. And you tell your kids, if you have a house full of kids, learn from your brother's mistakes. Don't do the same thing. And that's kind of what we're doing in the book of Genesis. We're learning from the men of God, but we're learning mistakes. And most of the mistakes that are made, They're made because they simply don't do what God says to do. Would you agree with me? And so we can say amen, but then when we apply it, we have to apply it to our own lives. And it's a learning process, isn't it? It's a learning process for me. I'm going to make mistakes. I might make some of the same mistakes. But do you know what we've noticed regardless of that? God still forgives them. God doesn't say, that's it, rip up the contract, the promised land isn't yours, your inheritance is getting nothing, you messed up, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad God doesn't do that to us? Well, you, may, you messed up this week, don't even try walking into church, I'll strike you with lightning, right? No, that's not our God. And we see that all throughout, and that's what I really enjoy about this is that we can relate, we can relate. If you read the Bible and you see a bunch of rules and regulations, yeah, they're there. But when I read the Bible, I see grace, I see forgiveness, I see lessons, And I learn, and that's our whole goal on a Wednesday night. Wednesday night's kind of not like a preaching thing, you know, and then we do an altar call. Wednesday night's a Bible study. We go deep. We apply it to our lives. That's what I'm trying to do here. And so we learn, and it's been a blessing for me. But in the next five or six chapters, we're going to find out what kind of man he is. And here's what we're going to learn from Joseph's life. We're going to learn how to trust God. In our own situations, we're going to look at our own situations in the next month and we're going to say, God, I need to learn how to trust you. We're going to learn how to increase our faith in the midst of adversity. You know, when I started the, the two-part series, um, Taking the Dysfunction Out of Family, I told you, I confess to you, all heck broke loose in my house. Like it was direct attack. Yeah, some of you are looking at my wife. I saw that. It really did. And some of it I own, and some of it my wife owns, but it was unusual, wasn't it? And I'm like, well, why not? I'm teaching on taking dysfunction out of the family. Where does the enemy want to discourage me? I can't finish part two. I don't have it right. But it's like stuff came out of the blue. And and this is what we see. You may may experience adversity before we're done with the life of Joseph. So let's just kind of punch the devil in the mouth and go, devil, I expect it but I've got God with me. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. Say it out loud because I want you to convince yourself. God will never leave me. And God will always be with me. Even in adversity. Some of you are going to be mountaintops. You're going to be singing a little bit louder on the weekends. You're going to be singing a little bit louder on Wednesday nights and you're going to be joyful and that's good cuz it's good, right? It's a balance. But some of us are going to experience adversity. But most of all, we're going to learn that God is always with us. He's leading us through valleys, He's leading us through mountaintops. And even though we don't see it, I want you to understand one thing. When you look at the history of your life and, and you kind of think back as a believer, obviously, as, as a born again believer, You've had really good times, but I bet you've experienced adversity. Do you know that God has a purpose for adversity in your life? Those of you that experienced it, and you're past it, and you look back, are you a more mature person because of it? Is your faith increased? When adversity comes, you go, all right, I know what's happening here, and I'm gonna be okay. I don't like it, but I'm gonna be okay. Because you, you believe it or not, You have history with God. And when you have history with God, and I'm looking at some of you because I know the situations you've been through, because I've been at your house, I've prayed with you, I've been in the hospital, I've prayed with you, I've heard your stories. I know this doesn't sound right, but I thank God for adversity in my life. I don't want it. I don't ask for it anymore, but I thank God because it makes me who I am, and it builds that foundation of faith. God has a purpose in everything he allows in our lives, and maybe we don't like to admit that, but it is true. He has a purpose for everything in our lives, and so I want you to write in your notes right, right at the top of chapter 37, God has a purpose for my life. Write it in your Bible because every time you pick this up after tonight and you go through this chapter, maybe a year or two years, 10 years down the road, you're going to see it, date it, and write it. That's what I do. God will have a purpose in your life always, and we're going to see that. And, and some of you say, well, right now I'm experiencing blessings because why? Well, things are going the way I want. God is good. But maybe you're in a trial, like I said, and things aren't going so well. You're stuck in a funk, you know, and, and you're in that desert. Moment, and you think, when is God going to do something? But you know, when you're in a desert moment, God is working out His purpose. Now, when I say the word Joseph, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Shout it out. Coat slavery. How many? How many of you think of a coat when I say Joseph? Okay, I thought there'd be a lot more. Okay, so yeah, a coat. Yeah. Um, and that's really what the kids, I mean, kids in the ministry, I know we got teachers in here, Joseph and the color, colored coat, right? The colorful coat, it's bright, but look at verse three. I'm going to skip some verses and I'll go back. Look at verse three. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him at his old age. Remember I told you was one of the later boys that were born. And so one day, Jacob, the father, had a special gift made for Joseph. It was a beautiful robe. Now, I know I've got some KJV people in here. So look what King James says. Now Israel, remember, his name was changed to Israel. But his, it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat Of many colors. Remember last week after the wrestling match where uh, where, uh, Jacob wrestled with God and then God said, I'm going to change your name now to Israel. It was because he wanted the true blessing of God and God finally gave him the blessing, not from his father, but the blessing of God. And he changed his name to Israel and that's why King James calls him Israel. So Israel, Jacob is the same thing. But I want to talk about the coat of many colors. You know, another word for the coat of many colors is the word tunic. Have you heard that word before, tunic? You'll hear that. That's what that means. It's tunic. And so what does tunic mean? In the ancient Hebrew phrase, the word tunic of many colors is described, and, and, and just kind of picture this in your mind, it's a tunic kind of like a robe and it's extended all the way to your collars here, and it's also a robe that's extended all the way down to your ankles. It's very different. And people that wear a tunic like that where it's just all covered, not only was it covered the whole man's body, but it also was very colorful, so it was flashy, right? Now, this is very different from the rest of the the culture because if you were a worker or a common folk or a laborer, you wouldn't wear a long tunic, and, and certainly you wouldn't wear bright colors or anything like that, and, and, and you would, it'd be shorter, and, and maybe you see pictures or you know, demonstrations in the Bible of that, and that was for the worker, but his father clothed his son uh, with this special one. Now, um, this gift from dad um, was a privilege. If someone had a tunic that was of good material, good color, and it was made differently, it, it, it was a status symbol. It was, it was that this man was privileged, and um, to z- I, I guess what would be like today, um, today's example would be maybe if you wear jeans and a t-shirt, right, which I'm a kind of a jeans and a t-shirt guy. If you, if you go home to be with heaven, don't ask me to wear a suit. No, I'm just joking. We wear suits, obviously, but it would be like somebody that wears jeans and a t-shirt versus a businessman that would wear a nice suit, you know, you got the... Guys, you got the you know the, the cuffs all the way out to here and the ties just nice and it's flashy and it fits nice and you know and and, and it's tailored and custom. It would be that kind of we can relate to that, right, men? It would be expensive and it would be flashy and people would know, notice you. And if you walk around in a suit, if you walked in here in a suit all flashy, people would probably treat you differently. I won't. I'd be like, you look nice, but people treat you generally differently. You go into Cumberland, right? And you go in dressed up like that. They're like, oh, what's the occasion? And they treat you nice. And this is really what was going on um, with Jacob. Now, the, the, I, ha- I found a picture. And in celebration of Plaid Wednesday, I chose to believe that Joseph had a plaid robe. Why don't you look at the picture up there? <laughs> and I just say maybe Joseph had a, a plaid tunic. I don't know. You know, just in celebration. In fact, in the Hebrew translation, uh, a tunic means plaid. So, no, I'm just joking. It's, no. But we're gonna see, we're gonna see in the life of Joseph, listen to this. We're gonna see that he was loved, he was also hated, he was tempted, and he was trusted. He was exalted, he was belittled. But what we'll witness as we go through the next couple weeks is that Joseph never took his eyes off of God. He remained true to who he really was, and that's the part that I get excited about. You see, he trusted God, and he will have adversity. We'll go through it. But he trusted God in the midst of adversity, and when he gained favor or when he gained wealth from, from where God had placed him, and some of you know the story, God placed him in incredible situations that maybe you and I would never experience or be placed into. But he, he was given favor uh, from men. But you know what the interesting thing was? Even in that, when he experienced the mountaintops, he was the same man. He didn't change. He was the same man in public, and he was the same man behind the scenes. I want you to think about the friends that you hang around. When, you, when you're close to somebody, and you see them at church, and then you, you hang out with them outside of church, I want you to, you, have, you all got somebody in mind? Yeah? If you're new here, just pick somebody next to you. <laughs> Go home with them. You'll find out what they're like at home. But think about that. Are the people that you're hanging around, Christians, are they the same at church as they are at home? Right? And and there's peace when you can be the same person at home or where you're at. Some of you are coming to football games, and it's pretty funny. Like I, I'm not a yelling p- preacher. I don't I don't yell at you too much, right? I have a boisterous voice, but I don't yell. But I yell at football games. And some of you have been coming to the football games. You're like oh my gosh, Pastor's getting fired up, and I'm like yeah. But you should hear me back there singing. Jacob keeps turning the volume up on the worship because I sing loud in his ear, right? But but. Am I the same person? Some of you know me, some of you are hanging out with me, some of you have been in Africa with me for two weeks. I know that I'm probably the same person that we hang out, eat breakfast, right? Travel till midnight, three o'clock in the morning, get home, go to villages. And and so I wanna challenge you, especially Wednesday nighters, because you're here for a reason. You wanna learn more of God. You wanna become more like Christ, that's why you're here. And I just challenge you, we're not gonna be perfect. I'm never gonna be perfect. But just challenge yourself, am I the same person in church as I am outside the church, right? And it's not, I don't want to intimidate anybody, but it it should be because then you don't have to hide. You don't have to, you don't have to fake it. You don't have to, is anybody like faking stuff? No, we're going to see these brothers tonight. They're going to be telling so many lies that they got to lie to cover lies. And then when you lie to cover lies, do you remember what you lied about to begin with? All of a sudden, the story starts changing. It's not fun. It's not peaceful. And we're going to see that that, um, that Joseph is the same man. Now, look at verse 4. Here's the result of this coat gift that his dad gave him. But his brothers, what? They hated Joseph. Why? Look at your Bibles. Because their father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't say a kind word to him. And so as soon as you see this scenario now in the next generation, right, if you're following along, we've learned that from the previous chapters that there's a pattern of favoritism that runs rampant in this family history, don't we? And what's interesting, we remember that Esau and Jacob, the father of these twelve sons, they they were one was favored. By their father Isaac. And of course it was Jacob. Now the, the question that I have here when we hit this this passage is Jacob was a product of favoritism, wasn't he? But he also went 20 years of, of dysfunction with his family. So if you've been through that for 20 years and then God restores your relationship, as a father, it just baffles me why you would create favoritism with one of your sons, right? Like, Wouldn't we learn? But even in my own life, I'll never forget what my dad said to me. And I was probably 13. And my dad said, I hated my father. And I never shed a tear when he died. I was happy. And my dad and I didn't have the best relationship for a long time. And when God started working on my forgiveness, for my dad, as I'm sure he was working on his forgiveness for me when we were estranged, one of the things that helped me is that I realized God brought that, that what he said about his father, and then a revelation came from God, and it was like, how could your dad properly have a good, healthy relationship with you if he never experienced one on, on his own, with his own father? Church, that was a revelation to me. I could no longer hold him in account because he never experienced a good relationship with his father. And then when I started figuring it out and started asking questions with family members, even his dad didn't have a good relationship with his father. Do you see the generational pattern of men? I was talking to somebody this week. Actually, it was a long guy. And he was spraying my neighbor's lawn, and he came over and just started talking to me. I was taking out the garbage, and he had chew in his mouth in the bottom lip. Right? We were just talking about things, and one of the things that came up, and maybe it's because of what we're talking about right here, but uh, he he said he said um, my son copies. He's six years old. He copies everything that I do, like everything. He goes. We took the four wheeler out, and we were in the woods. And he says, and so I got out my snuff out of my pocket and I'm snapping it, right? Snapping it. And, and, you know, to get it all down there and so you can do a dip. And he says, and my son wasn't getting on the ATV. And I look back and I go, what are you doing? Let's go. And he, and he said his son was pretending that he had dip and he was snapping the dip. <laughs> and, and, he, and I said, you know, that's, our kids model after our parents. girls. It might be the same. So if you have daughters, moms, you fight with them. Dads, you have sons, you fight with them. But in that, children are wired to emulate their parents. So when we go and we look at Jacob and I go, why would Jacob do that? What did he learn? It's a pattern. But God. But God. And this is the the next generation and the story that we're looking at. And this favoritism, what's interesting about this, this favoritism wasn't just hidden within the family. No, what'd he do? He bought the most flashiest colorful coat, and and man, (laughs) Joseph wore it everywhere. The whole town saw it. And he's got 11 other brothers upset, so it's not just a family thing. It's not just a household thing. It's in the community. They're like, oh yeah, there's, there's a favorite one. Look at his coat and this and that. So it was, it was humiliation to the rest of the, to the family. And Joseph, or Jacob just, he did this. And this is, where, this is where the result of favoritism in a family produced the same result from one generation to the next. That's what we're gonna see. What was produced in this family, the, the 13 kids all together? Bitterness, envy, jealousy, and it, and, and it starts to take root. And that's where this chapter begins. The life of Joseph begins. He's a 17-year-old teenager, and this is where this all begins. Now, I've learned over the years, I want to talk about envy tonight. In fact, the title of the teaching um, is Evil for, for Envy. Evil for Envy. And what I've discovered over the years is that I should never underestimate the power of jealousy and the power of envy. Because the power of jealousy and the power of envy does not come from the Lord. It comes from Satan. And it comes to change your heart and change your mind. And it deceives us. And it gets us off track. And it has nothing to do with the character of God. But it has everything to do with what Satan would want you got to have that. You, you know, why are you separate from that? Why, why, why don't you have that? But, but the power of jealousy and envy can destroy. It can destroy you. It can destroy your family. Now look back at verse 2. Verse 2. And it says, When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended to his father's flocks, and he worked for half his brothers and, and the sons of his father's wives, Billa and Zilpha. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers we're doing. And so we begin to see division, don't we? Obviously the other brothers are making fun of him. They're not treating him well because after all, he's daddy's favorite. He was born. Anybody hear this term? You were born with what in your mouth? Why do you know that? Because we see that. We see favoritism from time to time, right? And so now we see that even Joseph is like, you guys are treating me bad. If you do something wrong, I'm going to go and tell on you. I'm going to tattle on you. I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to get even at you. And we see this just subtle division going on in the family here. Look at verse 5. This is where it gets good. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Well, what was the dream? Look at verse 6. He says, listen to this dream. Who's he talking to? Just his brothers right now. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before my bundle. Now, I'm not the brightest light bulb in the house tonight. But if you had a dream like that from God, is it wise to go and tell your brothers that? What does that say to them? right? Okay, we know your daddy's favorite. Look at your garb, and now you're telling us that God's pouring favor on you? Like, you're going to tell us that we're going to bow down to you? Because that's really what it was. They They were like, what is going on? And so, remember, Joseph is 17 years old. How many of you remember when your kids were 17? Did they make the wisest choices all the time? It's like, where did you even get that idea? That is just wrong, That's wrong thinking, right? And so he's 17, and he says, hey, this is what God told me. But we notice that he lacks wisdom. Great that you had a dream from God, but maybe it wasn't the wisest thing to to take it and kind of put salt in the wound of your brothers when you know that it's kind of messing them up. Now, what do we, when we talk about dreams, what do we know about dreams saying they're from God? We know that the Bible teaches us that God can indeed speak through dreams. There's examples all through the Bible where God speaks to people in dreams. In fact, the dreams can actually be prophetic, can't they? They can be prophetic. God can speak through dreams. He can still do it today. He did it a lot in the Old Testament. Because remember, you couldn't meet God face to face. Now, you could probably meet Jesus face to face, you haven't encountered a physical encounter. I haven't, right? I don't hear too many people saying that. So God still speaks in various ways through the word of God. He's speaking tonight to all of us. He's speaking through the Holy Spirit. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through sermons. He speaks through dreams, right? Right? And so he's saying, hey, so we know that God can speak to him. And it's an interesting dream when we talk about these bundles. And so you might want to just put a little star next to that verse because we're going to actually see later on in the life of Joseph that this dream that he has here in chapter 37, it is absolutely prophetic. And you know the story. You're like, whoa. So like all of a sudden you're like, wow, God gave him a revelation. This explains why he was so excited to tell his brothers. He's like, this is what God said to me. Now look at verse eight. How do you think his brothers are gonna respond to this? Good job, God speaks to you. He didn't speak to us, but he spoke to you, right? No, look how they respond. So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they what? They hated him all the more. Because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Verse 9. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. Okay, really? 11 stars? 11 brothers? I mean, man. And he's, he's, he's rubbing it in their, in their wounds again. But this time, look at verse 10. But this time, the second dream, he told this dream to his father as well to his brothers, but his father scolded him. And he said, what kind of dream is that? He asked, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Now, we see that not only did Joseph lack wisdom but his brothers, but he clearly lacked wisdom again for the second dream. And there really is only one way for his parents now and his siblings to perceive Joseph. And that is, dude, you're prideful. You're just prideful, you think very highly of yourself. I, I, I imagine if I'm the dad, the dad's probably like taking account to say, you know, I've treated this guy and this son so good, he's getting prideful, he's got a big head and, and it's going the wrong way here. That wasn't my intention, I loved him, right? If you're a dad, maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you've done everything for your son and, 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 and it really didn't help him, right? And as parents, we love to help our kids, don't we? We die for them. But sometimes the things that we do with good intentions actually hinder them, right? We enable them. We, we develop pride. We develop a character that really isn't of God. And so I, I would assume that they're like, you have a pride problem. And they believe that Joseph was full of pride. And I also believe that Joseph, by telling his dad and mom that dream, he took advantage of their favor. And I think it was very disrespectful to him. But here's the question for you guys tonight. Do you really believe that he was acting in pride? I don't. I don't think he was acting in pride. I genuinely and sincerely, we know that those dreams were absolutely prophetic if you know the story and you know the life of Joseph. They were prophetic. And when God speaks to you prophecy, does anybody get excited about that? Some of you have gotten excited. When God just speaks to you, period, and you get a revelation from God, you should be excited. I've gotten excited. I'll tell you a quick story. I apologize if you already know it, but I'll be very brief. 20 years ago, my wife and I were down in Port St. Lucie and we attended Morningside Church. And for a year we went there. And I was a fresh, brand new baby Christian. Every week I was up on the altar, they had tissues and I would be weeping. And it was just woundedness. It was just hurts. God was just restoring me. His love was coming in in areas of my life that I held, you know, was held bondage of. And it was very emotional. It wasn't crazy prophecy church or anything like that. It was just a non-denominational, you know, and and nothing crazy was happening. But God's spirit was talking to me, right? I just got saved like everything is alive. The fire is like uncontainable, right? And so God's doing a mighty work. Lady comes up to us at the end of the service. My wife and I were kneeling. And in the lobby, she says, I saw a brand light around you. And God spoke to me. And he said, you guys are going to be in the ministry. This is 20 years ago. You're going to be in the ministry. He says, You're going to sing at a church and you're going to be a pastor. And then they prayed in tongues over us, her and her husband. And off they went. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think I came when we started going to the Melbourne campus? Do you think I went and told all the pastors, Well, someone prayed over me. I'm going to be the pastor? (laughs) I was excited. Don't get me wrong. It was weird, it was new, but I was excited because that was never my dream. That was never my heart. Come on, remember back when you first got saved? You're just trying to survive and not say a bad word. (laughs) And you still got those friends hanging with you and they're saying those words, right? I'm just being real, sorry. Some of you relate and you're my friends. (laughs) And I was new at it. But I didn't go in and tell the pastors, I'm going to be a pastor. Because if I did that, they would laugh at me because they knew me. I was rusty around the edges, man. There was a lot of bondo God had to do on me. (laughs) Sand me down, bondo, sand, bondo, sand, and maybe a paint job. Right? And they knew me. And I didn't say that. There was wisdom. Thank God, He gave me wisdom. I was 35 at the time, so I wasn't 17. But but you see the difference when when you get you should be excited when God speaks to you. When God speaks a promise, get excited because if God speaks a promise to you, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Trust me. When God tells you something, get excited. But see, he I don't think he was prideful. I think he was just a little bit foolish, and he was excited, so he goes home and tells everybody. Um, Look at verse 12. Soon after Joseph's brothers went to pastor their father's flock in Shechem, when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pastoring the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me the report. So Jacob sent him on his way and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of of Hebron. So I just want to stop there. Verse 12 through 14 shows proof that, that, that Joseph really had the favor of dad. Rest of the brothers, you're out with the sheep. You're out working. You're in the field. And listen, it's not like going out and feeding your dog or going to the mailbox and getting the mail. When you go out and tend to the sheep and you run them through, you're out for days. You're camping. You're, you're not, it, this isn't like 9 to 5 and come home and take a hot shower. This is work. Where was Joseph? sitting in his colorful coat next to daddy, being comfortable. And so proof that he, he was literally separated and favored uh, from the rest of his brothers. And, and um, I was just thinking of this. You all have kids or you've had kids. What happens when you ask one kid to do something and not the rest? What's their response? Well, why didn't you ask so-and-so? Why do I have to do it? You know? And it's like, isn't that true? You find that to be true with your kids? Because I said so. I asked you to do it. Well, why don't you, what's he going to do? Or what's she going to do, right? And that's what happened. I hope maybe you you guys have kids and you're like, they're perfect. You wait a few years. You wait till, yeah, they're in that nice zone. Seven, eight, nine, 10. Wait till 13, 14 comes, right? So enjoy it if you're in that moment. (laughs) Enjoy it. But isn't that the truth? That's our, that's our fleshly tendency, even as adults. Come on, be real. Be real. Look at your situation. Well, why does, why does that person get promoted? I've been here. I've been doing all this, right? It, it, it kind of comes with human, human life. It's, it's, our, it's, our, it's our flesh. It's a natural tendency. This is why Satan can get in there so quickly and lock in these thoughts of envy, thoughts of jealousy, right? Right? Because we, we have a tendency to do that. And so look at verse 15. When, when uh, Joseph arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. Well, what are you looking for, he asked. So I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pastoring their sheep? Verse 17, yes, the man told him. They have moved from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. No, duh. How could you not recognize a colorful coat in the middle of a field? (laughs) Like, yeah, they noticed it, right? As he approached, look what it says. They made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. So they start mocking him. Come on, let's what? Let's kill him. And throw him into one of these cisterns, we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we will see what becomes of his dreams. Now, James chapter 4, verse 2 has something to say about this. Look what it says. You desire and you do not have, so you what? So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You know, I think James wrote that for this family. Is that not true in this family at this moment right now? Right. And so James gives this clear result that if we continue to foster envy and jealousy, it could lead our hearts into a very unhealthy condition. Notice it was kind of mild, but now they've had time to be away from their brother and they plot to kill him. And they're not joking around. It's not like I'm going to punch him and we're going to get him our... No, they're going to kill him. They want to kill him. They hate him, it said. And so... So we have to be careful that we don't foster envy in our hearts. We have to be very careful. And this is where the hearts of the brothers are. And you say, well, Pastor David, what does envy, what would envy look like on a person? What would that look like? And then maybe you're asking that, could I even harbor envy in my own heart? I've got a list up here, we're gonna quickly go over it because I see that we're running out of time five possible warnings of an envious heart, okay? You can take a picture of that and uh, we're gonna go quick. Here's one, you aren't happy for others when they achieve success. This is a heart check. This isn't you convincing me that you go, well, praise God, you have a new house, you know, or whatever's going on, right? It's a heart check, it's genuine. When you see somebody succeeding or somebody being blessed by God or their business has taken off, Are you genuinely happy for them? Or do you kind of like, well, we'll look at his life. Why is God blessing him? Right? So this is a heart check for us. Look at number two. You feel the need to diminish accomplishments except when they come to yours. I won't say anymore. I heard a laugh. Look at the next one. You judge others negatively. You know, when, when you harbor envy or jealousy, You kind of take opportunities to be negative about people, especially if they're successful, right? You try to find something wrong. You try to take them down a few notches, right? Because you're not there and they are, right? So I don't know how the Lord's speaking, but these are just examples. Here's another one. You're happy when others face setbacks. That, that's, that's probably when your heart really has a lot of jealousy. You're really dealing with, it, with jealousy. Because if your heart rejoices when somebody goes through a tough time, it's almost like a vengeance. It's like you take God's place and you, you want to see vengeance on this person because you're that jealous of their status. How many of you have relatives and they're wealthy and they live in nice homes and you go visit them and they have nice everything and then you find out they're, they're getting a divorce? How many of you have said, yeah, they were so perfect on the outside. They had everything. Everything looks so nice. And look at them now. They're divorced. How you say it and how you approach it, this is an example. You're happy when they face a setback. Versus I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned for the kids. This is going to be a huge life change for them. They have no stability. Right? There's going to be fighting over money. And then last, you compete with material things. Um, I'll leave that set on you for a while. Look at verse 21. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, one of Joseph's brothers, he came to the res- Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness, and then he'll die without or laying a hand on him, Reuben was secretly—get this—Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Now we see here that not all of the brothers were blinded by hate to the extent of murder. In fact, if you read on a little bit more, I won't highlight it. There's a couple others that are like on the fence, like this is wrong. He's our brother. Well, I don't know why you guys are doing this, but I'm too afraid to go on. You know what's interesting? Just write verse 4, uh, chapter 49. Chapter 49, next to verse um, uh, 22. And it's interesting in chapter 49, Jacob is almost near his last days and he calls all 12 sons to his side. Look what he says about his son Reuben. It's up on the screen, Genesis 49, three. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor. You see, Reuben honored Joseph he stood up and said to his brothers, this is wrong, we're not gonna do this. And what's interesting is on Jacob's deathbed, he knew that about his son. And so how God has wired you, be true and authentic to how God wires you. How God has made you and how his spirit is poured into you, be true and be authentic no matter what. That's what Reuben was in this situation. Look at verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing Kind of reminds me of Jesus before the cross. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, but there was, there was no water in it. And then they were, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of uh, gum, bomb and aromic resin from the Gilead down to Egypt. In verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? There's the other brother sticking his neck out. We'd we'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. And after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were uh, Mennonite traders, came, uh, Medianite traders came by Joseph's brothers, pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him... To Egypt. Verse 29. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern, and when he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief, and then he went back to his brothers and lamented. The boy is gone. What will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in blood. They sent the beautiful robe to the father with a message Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your your son? Not our brother. Your son. There's a heart check there. Verse 33. Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. Verse 35, his family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son. He would say, and then he would weep. I have one last point that I think is important here as we wrap up. It's up on the screen. And I want you to really think about this. You see, the truth is, sin causes us to say things we shouldn't say, to do things we shouldn't do, to hide things we shouldn't hide, and sin takes us further from God than we should be. This sin of what they did to Joseph is something that is going for the next 22 years of their lives, just like their ancestors, it's going to rock their world. It, it's going it's to set the family in a spiral. But God will be with Joseph. You see the impact of this sin of envy that was on Joseph's family. Just listen as I say this, and you can circle the verses and go back to it. Verse 23, sin stole from family. They ripped the coat off of Joseph. It was a gift. It meant something to their dad. Verse 28, sin placed a price on a life for for mere profit. 20 coins of silver for their brother's life. Does that not show you the condition of the family's heart? We sold our brother for a profit. Verse 29, sin caused great pain and division amongst the brothers. There were some brothers that were willing to stick their neck up. Now they're divided. They don't want to be rid with that guilt and that lie that that they told their father. Verse 31, sin plotted a lie. They faked their brother's death. Verse 34, sin, their sin brought sorrow to Jacob as he mourned the death and then verse 35, and I said this before, and I'm gonna re-emphasize this. Sin breeds continuous sin by keeping alive for over 22 years. I don't wanna be in those shoes, do you? There's no peace in that, I promise you. Why all this sin? Because it's the evil of envy. You see, the word envy or covet appears in the Bible over a hundred times. You think God has something to say, something about envy? In fact, six times in the Bible, envy killed and destroyed relationships. What are they? Cain and Abel. Jacob and Esau. Joseph and his brothers. Rachel and Leah. Remember Saul and David? Luke 15, my favorite, the prodigal son between the young and the old brother. So let's bow our heads and close. And then I've got a surprise in the comments for you because it's Plaid Wednesday. <laughs> let's bow our heads. Father, Lord, we're just so thankful that you, you see us as who we are. God, you, you don't look at us or judge us by our cover or what we say to each other, or how we even present ourselves to one another, either in the church or out of the church. God, we're so grateful that you know us from the inside out. You see our hearts. Tonight, maybe you even took a flashlight and shined it into the depths of the dark places of our heart. Maybe there was something that you spoke tonight that we just needed to hear. And God, we, we do confess to you that it's good to come here on a Wednesday night and, and to have you shine that flashlight through your word. You are the light, Jesus. And so, Lord, I'm so grateful that this, this community of believers that call this church their home, they're willing to say, go ahead, God, shine the light. Find the depths of my wickedness. David said, examine my heart, search my heart, Lord, to see if you could not find any inequity. And so, God, we thank you. We come here, we don't need to be ashamed, embarrassed, we just come here and go, God, here we are, change us. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here that has envy or covetousness or jealousy, God, we pray that as we continue to unpack this story where we'll, we'll meet this head on, it's an ongoing thing. God, we just ask that if that's us, if there's anyone in this room tonight, that you, that you would speak to us and that, God, you would empower us through the Holy Spirit to really change that you would take us on that journey. This isn't just a a good teaching or something to fill the time. No, we're here because we really do wanna change. And so, Lord, we confess, help us change. Those that are dealing with envy, just take it away from us, Lord. Teach us principles as we study together. We love you, and uh, Lord, as we go out into the commons, may there be enough surprises out there so that nobody envies each other. And we love you, Lord, tonight. Thank you for this wonderful family and this church and all the volunteers that make this happen. We love you. Help us to love each other. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 10.45 a.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m.